You're listening to Garden Futurist, a show about innovative thinkers contributing to a climate-resilient future through the power of gardens. I'm Sarah Beck with Pacific Horticulture, here with Adriana Lopez Villalobos. Hi, Adriana. Hi, Sarah. It's good to talk to you today. I hope you can tell me something about our topic. I'm very excited. Today's podcast is about multifunctional landscapes or green spaces and a very particular way of maintaining them involving sheep grazing. Did, did you just say sheep? Yes. Our guest is conducting an experiment looking at the potential benefits of sheep grazing for the ecology of the soil, its biodiversity, but also its impacts in people's health. Well, let's get on with this conversation about sheep with our guest, Haven Kears. She is an assistant professor of landscape architecture at UC Davis. Hi, Haven. So good to see you. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I want to ask you about a multi-part experiment to scientifically study how sheep can maintain landscape on campus. You are a longtime proponent of green infrastructure, such as urban landscapes that are aesthetically pleasing as well as ecologically productive. You say grazing sheep are a natural outgrowth of that research. Where did you get this idea? Why sheep? Well, so it goes back to an article that I read in the New York Times a while ago that talked about sheep grazing in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. And there was something about that image of, you know, this iconic tower and and symbol of Paris, and then the sheep performing maintenance in front of it, that it stuck with me forever. And I've always wanted to replicate it. And then I started doing some research on sheep and learned that there's a historical precedent here in the U.S. You've got Frederick Law Olmsted. He actually designed Central Park. They originally wanted a major meadow to be sort of a parade, military parade ground. But what happened was he wanted something more pastoral and he wanted to create sort of a break from the dense urban city environment. And so he created what is now known as the sheep meadow and had actual sheep. I think it was a sheep herd of 48, 50 sheep that were out there that grazed the meadow. And it was a combination of performing maintenance for the lawn, but also creating this experience for people to come and feel like they were walking through the countryside and be able to look at that. And then I learned that during World War I, Woodrow Wilson actually also had sheep, and he brought them to the lawns both in back and in front of the White House. And the idea there was also to reduce the amount of manpower needed because the men were away fighting at war, and so sheep could come in and do that job. But they were also using the wool, and so they were able to take the wool from those sheep and auction the wool off. And I read that they raised something like $52,000 for the Red Cross just through those those wool donations. Those images have just stuck in my mind. How can we take something that is productive, that is practical, that does something beneficial that's also sustainable, but is also this engaged experience that people want to be a part of, that is beautiful for them to look at, that has scientific and sustainable benefits, but is also this spectacle that people want to join and watch and just be. I can't believe that those sheep weren't recognized better in the, in all the propaganda imagery. Exactly. Why, (laughs) why don't we see those sheep? (laughs) Rosie the sheep gave a lot. 
I'm curious, though, about how the sheep improve the ecology of the site. So for my experiment, I'm really sticking to a lawnscape, right? It's a campus lawn that is used primarily for events. So it's not one that needs to be regularly maintained because they'll clear it out before events and use it. And so within this idea of a lawnscape, the big thing that the sheep are doing is reducing weeds. For sheep, weeds are like candy. It's the first thing that they want to eat. It's the first thing that they go for. And so things like bindweed and thistles and, I mean, even foxtails, if they're green enough and early enough, the sheep love them. Once they start to, to brown out, not so good. But when they're bright green and wonderful, they want to eat those. They're also adding fertilizer to the site. And so if you think about that and, you know, the sheep going around and, and pooping out what they're eating... That is adding to the quality of the soil. So a couple of things I'm looking at. First, I'm looking at microbes within the soil and to see if beneficial microbes are increasing. Along with that, I'm looking at soil structure and seeing whether they're compacting the soil or if they're less compacting than, say, a really heavy-duty lawnmower. And then I'm looking at the nutrients within the soil. Are they actually adding nutrients by grazing? And so is that improving then the quality of the grass and, and things like that? There's another area of beneficial insects. And so again, it's going back to the poop, but there are certain beneficial insects that are attracted to that, that then can provide other you know, beneficial services and help with pollinator services and, and, and things like that. I see this as a, as a very you know, small scale application, homeowners, campuses, but there's a much broader application too where you can start thinking about like grassland restoration. And if you think about here in California, I mean, grasslands once were all over the state and they're the most endangered areas right now. Again, with the sheep, what they're doing is they're, they like these weeds first. So they're going and they're eating the weeds and they're reducing that invasive weed pressure, opening up spaces for the native grassland species to actually come up. So that's a huge thing in terms of restoration. Right now, we're about to go into a drought. We're about to start another fire season. The sheep are really good at eating down that fuel. And so any of the fuel that's building up, I mean, even we're talking about potentially using them sort of on the edges of campus. It's a smaller version of that wild urban interface. But those areas where you don't have lawnmowers all the time and you don't have the constant pressure, those start to get thick and full of vegetation. The sheep will go in, they'll clear that out. And so you can actually reduce the likelihood of wildfire. They're also really good with establishing, helping establish new trees. And so thinking, yeah, this is something, this is a new one for me, where if you're putting in sort of new trees and, and seedlings in there, the sheep aren't interested in the trees. And so they'll actually eat all of the weeds around the new saplings. Again, clearing out that area. That's reducing to, that pressure. In yeah. reducing the pressure. There are just a lot of applications that are good for the environment, helping things out, and also really fun to watch. You're listening to Garden Futurist. We'll be right back. Birikino is a not-too-big, not-too-small Santa Cruz-based winery. Birikino produces minimal intervention, maximal pleasure-inducing wines from a wide array of responsibly farmed vineyards, including many planted between the late 19th century and early disco era. We strive to produce wines which defy rather than exert gravity, which revitalize and revive, and which authentically express the character of the sites from which they derive. Go to birikino.com 
B-I-R-I-C-H-I-N-O.com and enter the code PH at checkout to receive a 10% discount. Have you decided it's time to say goodbye to your used vehicle? Don't go to the trouble of turning it into an enormous garden planter. Donate that used car to Pacific Horticulture. You'll not only benefit yourself with a tax-deductible donation, but you'll also help us share more inspiring stories of garden futurists. Call us at 855-500-7433, and we will tell your vehicle at no cost to you. So I want to ask you, because the pilot project addresses the question of how can science design and practice converge to inform the creation of accessible, multifunctional green spaces. This is quite a <laughs> quite a mouthful that maximize cultural and environmental values. That's a lot of things. Can you help break down these ideas? Is this part of your nature heals concept? In fact, it is. And so nature heals is a concept that I came up with to sort of describe very broadly the the kind of landscapes that I'm interested in. And HEALS stands for Health, Engagement, Aesthetics, Landscapes, and Sustainability. And so broadly, what I'm really interested in, yes, there's very much this like sheep versus lawnmowers, right? And we can look at that and we can look at the environmental impacts, but it's more about creating multifunctional landscapes. And for me, it really is how much can we pack into one landscape? Landscape architect, we want something to be beautiful. It, it, you know, like make that something that tugs at heartstrings that people want to see. But then there's also the side of science and how can we learn from these landscapes and how can we get data and how can we figure out who, like what insects are visiting? What are the plants that are growing and, and really promote sustainability but not in a way where we're trying to shove it down people's throats. I feel like there are these two camps of landscapes either have to be beautiful or they have to be good for you. And so it's like, how do we merge that? But then how do we do that in a way that is the two other aspects? One, manageable, right? It's something that can be maintained. It's something that highlights the practical aspects, right? Bringing in sheep to do this or thinking about maintenance, which is something that typically gets sort of hidden under the rug and designers come in, they do their beautiful landscapes, they walk away and and just hope to God that someone knows what they're doing in terms of maintaining them. But then I think the most important part is that engagement factor. And how is it that you can bring people two landscapes and really make them feel like they're part of it. And so that's where this nature heals comes from, because it's like, bring people outside. We know all about the healing power of nature. We know that it makes people less stressed, happier about themselves. So let's capitalize on that with these landscapes that have all of these different layers in them so that people want to be out there. So there's this connection with physical and psychological health as well, connected to the beauty. Exactly. We, we have, we've seen so many studies that talk about how just looking at, at nature, looking at green space, looking at a wall versus a tree when you're sick helps, you know, improve the, the amount of time it takes for you to recover. You know, we know all about this and we talk about it a lot, but how do we actually employ it? And how do we make spaces 
especially on a campus, right? So you just mentioned also the operational viability. Do you feel like this project is starting to show some promise in that way? Yeah, I mean, so I need to be perfectly clear from the outside. The sheep are not replacing the grounds crews. They will never replace the lawnmower. That is not what I want them to do. You're not stealing jobs right now. No jobs, no (laughs) job stealing, no unionizing for the sheep. Really more than anything else, it's opening up space for the people in grounds and landscaping services to do other things, to work on more specialized applications on campus and to to give them another option of how to get some of these spaces. So like I was talking about that event lawn, it's not necessarily something that is in the regular rotation of mowing. It needs to be mown before an event. You need to think about it at certain times, but it's not an everyday thing. Spaces like the area between vines in a vineyard. This is another perfect area for sheep, where for grounds, it's an extra amount of labor, getting in between those rows, turning around, getting to the next. It's not something that you can do on a large riding mower. Thinking about in between solar farms, same thing of those rows. There are other examples of your interest in how design helps redefine urban landscapes as multifunctional spaces. Could you share some of the other exciting frontiers of green infrastructure that you think will have similar multidimensional benefits? I started studying green roofs back when I was in graduate school when people told me, ironically, actually, that you couldn't have them because they were so hard to maintain and you needed to have a sheep on the roof (laughs) in order to maintain them. (laughs) So see, it all comes back. It all like weaves its way back together again. So green roofs and sheep. Now, you know, being out here in California where green roofs, people tend to see them as, as problematic because of irrigation issues and because they are like retrofits are expensive. A lot of our existing buildings cannot take the weight of a green roof. I focus all my energy into these small scale green roofs. And so through classes that I've taught, through sort of personal things, I have created green roofs on dog houses, on chicken coops. I've done it on a bike rack, like a bike enclosure. On the same trip when I was in France and I visited the Netherlands, this is what I began to see everywhere were these little like small scale green roofs on top of garbage enclosures or on top of bike racks. And literally everywhere I went, there was, you know, it was a children's playhouse and it had a green roof and they were integrated in parks. And so those are the things that I'm looking at. I am looking at biodiversity in terms of lots of different plants and little nooks and niches, right? So if I can put them on those dog houses, on bus stops, in the little cracks that, you know, are around street trees, on, you know, so combination, wherever I can get those plants, however I can add them onto infrastructure, that's what I want to do in any way possible. And then the other thing that I'm really interested in is the idea, again, goes back to the, the sheep and these multifunctional landscapes, is the idea of the spectacle of celebrating the green infrastructure, of celebrating the moment. And so as we enter into what looks to be another like horrible drought, I want things to celebrate rain. And so we have these rain barrels, right? And people collect rain. Rain barrels are the ugliest things I've ever seen. They're like those blue vegetable like oil containers. And they're they're just so ugly. So what I want is not just like, okay, how can we design a better rain barrel? But how can we create installations that really like celebrate when it rains? 
So like uh, one of the classes here at Davis that I teach is a design build class. And we're allowed to play in our courtyard and build all sorts of different things. And one of the first projects that we did was to build an overhead runnel where we're capturing stormwater runoff from the neighboring roof and then sending it in this runnel that goes overhead over a path, comes down a rain chain, and then is exited into a rain guard. And you can hear the water as it's going over your head. You can watch it as it goes down the rain chain. You can see it move through to the rain garden. And it becomes this moment where you're like, oh my God, it's raining. I need to go watch this. And that's what I want to do. So that it becomes this idea that it's raining. Let's go into the landscape. Let's go see that. And if we can bring those into cities, if we can bring them onto campuses, then it's highlighting part of this maintenance thing. It's highlighting the need to keep the plants alive, to do these things. Like our system, our engineered system of pipes and drains, like, wow, great for engineers for designing them the way they did so efficiently, but they are so hidden. And so it means that we don't talk about it and we don't think about it. And the water that overflows on our yards when we water overhead, goes into these drains and we don't even have to see it. I don't want to beat people over the head and say, you must conserve all of your water in a bucket and this is the way to do it. I want them to do it because they want to see that water go down the runnel and they want to see the rain chain and celebrate it. And those are the kind of landscapes that, again, bring in all of those aspects of aesthetics, sustainability, but then functionality and practicality. Nice. Oh, well, this... This was such a fantastic conversation. Haven, thank you so much for sharing your multidimensional, resilient landscape, futurist vision. It's really incredible. Thank you for inviting me. This is such a treat. Adriana, I really enjoyed that conversation. I, I thought that Haven's perspective on just how she is so celebratory of these multiple benefits of a landscape, it, it was just really fun to listen to her. Can you tell me what you found most interesting? I really like the nature heals concept as an integrative approach for looking at landscape design, considering biodiversity, sustainability, and people. The other thing that I found really interesting is the merging of the beautiful landscape with the ecological beneficial landscape without considering the maintenance aspect, which is something that, as she mentions, is often ignored in the design stage of the project. And I think she does a really good job at putting all those concepts together. I totally agree. I think that that maintenance aspect is quite critical, although it's not always the sexy part of <laughs> landscape architecture conversations, but it really is so critical. This project is also perhaps deceptive because at first it seemed to be very specific as a project. And then I feel like it became very obvious how broad the applications of this concept were and and how she fits this into her bigger uh, framework of of her interest in in every landscape having this these multidimensional <laughs> qualities. It was I thought that was very cool. Yeah, that actually brings me to the next point that I have. I think is worth highlighting the skill component and the applicability of the results of the experiment itself. On one hand, there seemed to be an immediate use in smaller urban landscapes, but on the other hand, 
the applicability on larger scale projects for wild landscapes, like what she mentions about sheep grazing for grassland restoration and tree planting projects and its effects on wildfire prone landscapes. I'm really excited about this project and look forward to hearing more about its outcomes. And before I go out and look for a place to relax with some sheep, I'm going to say thanks to everyone for listening today. If you liked Garden Futurist and would like to hear more episodes or want more climate resilient gardening techniques, find us at pacifichorticulture.org.